Well, I, I wasn't going to talk about cancer, but now that Brooks brought it up, I know many of you guys are praying. I have been praying for Gail, and some of you guys know her personally. And, and you know what, guys? I know I'm not the only suffering people in this room. You know, missionaries, we, we're, we're suffering people. And um, I'm not the only, we're not the only family that's going through it right now. And I was talking to uh, a radio staff last night, and he reminded me, hey, he asked me, hey, Wayne, do you remember last time you came down and what you talked about to the students? You, you, you talked about, I was like, what, what did I say? I said, well, you talked about loss and gain and how we, how we measure as Christians, as believers, as missionaries, how we ought to measure our loss and gain. And, and, and let me tell you, if, if we measure our losses and gains like the world measures it outside, then we might as well turn off the lights and go home. You know, there are people right now, I mean, Radius graduates, students, you guys are going out to the ends of the world, and man, the life's going to suck for you guys for the next 20 years. But you will gain. This book tells us that, you know what, selling a family farm is gain. Getting cancer is gain. Because we get to live out our eternal security in front of the people groups. So many of you guys have asked how to pray for our family. You know, this is how you can pray for us. Pray that, man, we will see cancer as gain. And this is how we are going to suffer. We're going to see suffering as gain because there's no other way to live life. There's no other way to live life. And guys, some of you guys are thinking about mission, thinking about radius or any kind. You know, should I give my life to this? Just be careful. Be careful as you weigh your options. What you see as gain, what you see as losses in your life, make sure you're measuring it with God's book and not what the world tells you. Let's, let's, let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll get this thing started. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that because of Christ, that our light and momentary afflictions are just that. They're light and momentary. And then you can turn it, and you will turn it, into that eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And Father, as we talk about missions, as we talk about the Great Commission, open our eyes to see what will last forever and what will pass away. And it is in your son's name we pray. Amen. Guys, heavy topic. Now that I got cancer out of the way, um, I was going to, I was going to, how do you, how do you transition out of that, you know? Um, I was going to tell a story. I got uh, Francis' permission to do it, actually, last night. Um, guys, I'm, this, this story is 92% true. I, I'm making up the last eight. 92% true. I was actually in a missions conference in Korea last year. A little bigger than this, but missionaries, pastors, man, nobody knows any, each other. But, man, we're just people coming in and, and, and just, you know, a missions conference. And uh, on the third day, you know, I was... You know, I grabbed a plate, another older gentleman, he grabbed a plate, and we sat down and we started talking. I didn't know him, he didn't know me. You know, 10 minutes, we were just talking about what the Lord was teaching us in our lives and about missions and all that, and, and, and he just stopped and he looked at me and said, Brother, what you wrote in Crazy Love, you know, really <laughs> helped me. And um, 
I didn't have the heart to tell him. I said, hey, you know, if that help you, you know, there's another book called Multiply. You really got to get it. No, no, no. See, no, I didn't say that. That's the 8%. That's not true. But everything else, he really said it. He really said it. But, but guys, it's not my fault that God created only two good Asian-looking men out of <laughs> billions. So, so guys, um, we're on the topic of fluency. While we're on the topic of fluency, I've got to give a little qualifier here. You know, language, uh, English is not my first language. In fact, I did not speak a single word of English before I was 14. I remember vividly on September 28th, no, October 28th, uh, 1990, my family immigrated to Canada, Vancouver. We landed over there with suitcases. That was August 28th. And you know what? On September 3rd, my parents dropped me off at the largest public high school in the entire province. Son, there you go. And I realized, you know what, you need, you need fluency to survive high school. I got kicked into the deep end of the pool. And you know what, I think God decided, God decided that if, um, if you could survive high school like that, I'm going to make a cross-cultural missionary out of you. And uh, so, you know, this is a long story short. Um, Gil and I, see, um, is this a clicker? Hey. Well, Gil and I went to seminary. Uh, we ended up pastoring a church in San Francisco. After that, we joined New Tribes Mission, and we uh, headed overseas. We headed overseas. And um, I've been a church planner with uh, New Tribes uh, since 2009. Um, you know, Brooks mentioned already um, that we work on uh, a little different than Brooks's tribe. Um, we work on a little, when I say little, I mean little volcanic island 80 miles offshore. I'm not going to show any tribal picture. Um, usually when I show at churches, you know, I get people coming up telling me after, Wayne, man, I'm so excited for you. Um, I really like fishing, too. Um, you know, that, 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 that's of no encouragement to me. So no tribal pictures, no. Anyways, our guys live on a little island, 80 miles offshore. And like Brooke said, man, by God's grace, by God's grace, uh, we learned the language. We presented the gospel. And uh, we appointed elders last year. And... Uh, now it's time to get out of the way and uh, let them function and uh, let them grow. Okay. Well, language fluency, language fluency has everything to do with the Great Commission, guys. I mean, Jesus' commandment for us to go to the nations, put every one of us in this room. We got various agencies, pastors, mission leaders, missionaries, and we probably even have different theologies or missiologies in this room. But you know what? It is Jesus' command to go to the nations that unites us, and we don't have a choice. Guys, this conference isn't a, a, a niche conference. This, is, this isn't held due to common interest, or else it'd be like this, you know, the Star Trek fanboy convention. It's not. We don't have a choice but to gather and talk about how do we finish the Great Commission. And the topic of this hour is fluency, guys. When I use the fluency, I mean language and culture. And because of the time limit, you know, we don't have time to talk about language and culture in two different sessions. So when I say language fluency, when I say fluency, I do mean both. Language fluency and culture fluency. And the question we want to ask is this. Is fluency 
necessary to finish the Great Commission. Now, on the little left-hand corner, what would it take to complete it, to complete the Great Commission? Is language fluency, is fluency in language and culture necessary to finish the Great Commission? See, we're not talking about getting started on the Great Commission. See, you can start the Great Commission without language fluency. Anybody could go, right? Go and baptize. You could go. I mean, anybody with a credit card, you could go. And you could baptize. If you reduce baptism into some form-based ritual, you could actually do it without fluency. But can we finish? Can we finish the Great Commission without fluency? Do we need it? Do we need it to make disciples of all nations? And I want to spend the rest of the hour pleading with you that the answer is yes, yes, yes. Yes, we do need language fluency. We do need fluency in culture and the high-level fluency in order to finish the Great Commission. So hopefully in the next hour, we're going to talk about these four things, defining fluency. What, What is fluency? Number two, feel realities. We could talk about, we could all agree here that in this room that fluency is necessary, but what does the field, what is the current realities like overseas? Number three, reasons for fluency necessity. And number four, I got a personal pleas to churches and pastors. But number one, you know, defining fluency. You know, what is fluency? Now, when we say fluency is necessary, what do we mean by that? Well, let's talk about what fluency is not first. You know, fluency is not the ability to order a Happy Meal at McDonald's or, you know, tell the taxi where you want to go. That's good enough for tourists, but not good enough for missionaries. You know, fluency is not, fluency is not the ability to carry on a day-to-day conversation or to solicit yes and no answers. That's good for the military or expats working overseas, but that's not good enough for missionaries. And fluency is not even the ability to read out a paragraph or to recite a memorized speech without stuttering or making mistakes. That's good enough for radio station broadcast, but not good enough for missionaries living life on life overseas. It's just not good enough. Well, I got a picture of dolphins here. And, um, man, like, one is cute, but when you gather them all together, that's kind of scary. But, um, <laughs> but this is, um, I want to show you guys the next, next slide. This is, um, I, was, I was looking for illustrations. And, and, um, and this is what, uh, this was a news article in the London Tel- Telegraph last September. It says, dolphins recorded having a conversation just like two people for the first time. And this is what the news article says, that, that researchers in Caradoc Nature Reserve in Crimea believe that pulses, clicks, and whistles of up to five words made by dolphins are listened to fully by another dolphin before a response is made. So they conclude... This is published in the Journal of Mathematics and Physics. They conclude that this exchange resembles a conversation between two people. And I can guarantee you right now there are missionaries overseas that's giving the gospel message through tracts, through drama, 
while having this level of language ability. They could string together five words. They're speaking like dolphins, and we are trying to get the gospel to the nations. Not all of them, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Sometimes that's the way we do ministry. Now, the need for language fluency, for culture fluency, is much, much higher. It has to be much higher for missionaries, for career missionaries. It is necessary and it is biblical. And I know it's a huge claim because we don't, I don't have a proof text where Jesus or Paul says, you know what, you need to get to a fluent level in language. But I believe that unless you read the Bible, that it is implicitly taught, and, and if anything, it is implied, it is assumed, and it is expected. I mean, think about it. What is the most emotional book in the New Testament? You know, as Bible translators, you know, usually we say, you know, 2 Corinthians, man, that's a hard book to translate. There's just so much emotions in that book. I mean, think about how, how, how Paul expresses his feelings. He shares his despairs, his sorrows. He is happy. He's glad. He rejoices. He feels anguish of heart. He cries. He loves. He's perplexed. He groans. He has regrets, and he is afraid. Remember, Paul was pouring out his love for the church, his concern for the church. He said, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure and concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn? That's the level of emotions. That's the level of communication from Paul to the church. And in 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. You know, Paul says, we try to persuade man. We implore you on Christ's behalf. We urge you. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Guys, these verbs, to implore, to urge, to persuade, these aren't third-grade words. These are adult languages, adult languages. Missionaries, we are called to implore. Implore with the clear articulation of God's word. We are called to persuade with sound argument. We're called to urge with emotions and feelings without having to look up the dictionary. Guys, the emotions that we see in Paul's speech, I mean, it's not because Paul is an emotional guy. Let's not forget, this is God's book. The emotions that he expressed, that's emotions that God wants to express to give to the church. And we know Ron talked about it yesterday. God is the ultimate communicator. He is the ultimate communicator. He, and he communicates like that, not just in 2 Corinthians, but throughout the Bible. He is emotional. His speech, his, his thoughts, I mean, they're deep. They're not, again, on the grade school level. They're engaging to our deepest hidden thoughts. And when Jesus, see, God is the ultimate communicator, and the Bible says what? That we are created in whose image? In his image. In his image. So when Jesus commanded us to go and teach everything that he's commanded, you know, we know Jesus wasn't just talking about, talking about black, you know, black words. 
on white paper or data or information. So be that communicator that I am. Because you are created, we are created in this image. Guys, fluency is not a radius thing. It's a mission thing. You know, I'm going to switch roles here. I'm, you know, one, I have three passports. I'm Canadian, I'm American, I'm Taiwanese. And, and Taiwan is, is one of the sending, I mean, receiving countries. You know, fluency is not, a, I mean, it's a mission thing. I mean, I see missionaries that, that, that real, don't speak Mandarin in Taiwan all the time and trying to do ministry. And let me tell you, it is not effective. 99.999% of people don't like studying languages. They just don't. I don't. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun in high school. It wasn't fun on that volcanic island in Papua New Guinea. But man, we don't have a choice because God is the ultimate communicator. And we need to be like him as we bring the message to the nations. You know, as gospel workers, as gospel workers, how do we, how do we, define, how do we define fluency? You know, we are called to bring the whole counsel of God with all of its emotions to the nation. This is why we don't train dolphins in radius. This is why we don't. We don't rejoice when a missionary is able to string together five words and we go, man, that resembles human speech. We don't. Our bar is a lot higher. It's much, much higher. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about as far as the, you know, what is fluency? You know, it's, fluency is the ability, the ability to engage in abstract ideas, to speak into worldview issues of the people group that we're working in. Abstract ideas and worldview issues. Now, the ability to ask who, what, where, when. That's not language fluency. Now, I remember there were two deaf in our tribe. Both of them fell from, the first time an old guy fell from a tree and he died instantly, instantly. And uh, it was after, the day before it rained, he climbed up on a, on a tree, he fell and he died instantly. And uh, I was doing language study. So I saw a bunch of people gathering over there. So I went over there and I started asking questions. Oh, he died just now. Oh, he fell. He fell from the tree. Oh, okay. No, no, no. We dug the grave. We, we, we already dug the grave. Oh, when are we? No, no, no. We're going to bury him today. We're going to bury him today. And I was able to ask questions, and I got answers. And you guys go, Wayne, that's a lot of language. That's a lot. It sounded good. I mean, but you know what? That wasn't a conversation. It wasn't a two-way conversation. I asked questions, and I got answers. But that guy had no interest at all staying there and talking to me about death, about anything, because he knew that I couldn't understand him. It wasn't a conversation. That language level wasn't good enough. And I remember another, there was just, again, two death of people falling down from trees. Another time, that was after the church was born, and I, I was fluent in the language. Another young man, early in the morning, fell down from a mango tree and died right underneath my coworker's house. And I asked the same questions. 
And I got the same answers. But you know what? That night I was sitting outside with my tribal brother. And he's like, Wayne, he started talking. He's not a believer. He started talking. Wayne, you know what? I was chewing and smoking with that guy this morning before he went to the other side and he died. Like, where in the world is he right now? Wayne, like, I don't know. That's my tribal brother. And he's like, he pointed at the house down the road. He's saying, you know, that guy, he wakes up every day. He just goes fishing. He comes back, he eats his catch, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up tomorrow morning. Like, what's, what's, the, meaning of, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? Man, the door that language fluency opened for me. The depth that I could start talking. I wasn't limited by, I, I, you know, I wasn't limited by fluency anymore. I was able to talk and converse and actually understand and actually give input to his, um, to his worldview. Man, when the gospel worker, when the missionary reaches the proficient level of language study, man, the doors that will be open, the doors that will be open. And it is necessary that we reach the proficiency where we can engage in worldview issues. Okay, the next one is the ability. Ooh, let's go back. The ability to hold the attention of the audience. We are looking, when we talk about fluency, we are talking about a capable speaker who's able to communicate abstract ideas while holding down the attention of his audience. Now, if you guys go on a short mission trip, and you learn a little greeting and hola, hola, ni hao, ni hao. And you know what? The grandmother's going to love you. They're going to say, oh, look at, look at the way he twirls his tongue. I mean, he's speaking our language perfectly. That's not fluency. You know why? Because he tried to stay for six months instead of six days. And tried to pull off a conversation, hola, hola, after six months. They're not going to give you the time of day. That's not, you can't hold the attention span of your audience without adult-like speech. You know, guys, there are things that we will not accept here in the U.S. that somehow magically becomes a norm overseas. We will not accept a teaching pastor every Sunday. You know, we're not talking about ability, but we're talking about if his language ability is that of a third grader where he can't form full sentences, as much as he understands theology, as much as he can expound the Bible, if he can't hold your attention, man, we will not accept that right here in our neighborhood. But somehow, it becomes the norm overseas. Guys, that cannot go on. That cannot go on. You know, I actually went back and I look at my Brooks set. He gave me my uh, first language check. And again, that was baby talk. You know, I got a language check three months after I move in. And after that, every six months, consultants would come in and give me language checks. And, and I went back and look at, I look at some of the questions that were popped to me uh, in my final language check. Again, this is, I mean, I didn't, no events notice. You know, just I had to say these things on the spot. And these are some of the tasks that I was, uh, I was put through. I had to explain to our tribal guys, a stitch in time saves nine. It's like, I had to explain literally and also the meaning. It's like, a stitch in time saves nine. And I had to explain the Egyptian burial cycle, 
how the Egyptians bury their dead. They, they wrap it up, they put it on the bow, then some other bow symbolize. I mean, our guys concluded, man, they're stupid. I mean, I, I was like, they are. And then I have to explain how, um, how an oil tanker, I mean, deep sea drilling. I didn't even understand it, but I mean, I like, tell your guy, explain to him how companies use big oil tankers. They go down and they set up these platforms, they go down and drill for oil and they transport it to a refinery and then somehow put, you know, transport it back to town and they sell in gas station and that's what you put in your two stroke motors. Our guys were like, what? And I had to tell stories about, man, I mean, just stories after stories, things that our guys could not, it, it wasn't in their realm. But I needed to be able to communicate those things to them. And it wasn't until I was done with those tasks that the consultant said, you know what, Wayne, you are ministry ready. You can go and preach the gospel. And guys, I would say in this room, in this room, I, I mean, everybody, every, you and I, nobody's going to disagree, right, with language. Everybody's going to go, man, we're about language study. I mean, nobody, what I've said so far, man, nobody's going to disagree. But you know what? How does our commitment on this side of the pond, you know, what, what are the field realities? What are the field realities? You know, one of the first the first reality is, man, gospel workers, missionaries, we have to often learn not just one but two additional languages to reach the most enriched people groups. Not just one, but sometimes two. You know, the odds are stacked against us. But you know what? It has been stacked against us for the last 2,000 years. It does not change the fact that we need to do it, and we need to do it right. And another reality... Another reality is very few missionaries are ministering at a proficient level in language. Very few missionaries are ministering at a proficient level in language. Tim Labuna's presentation back in 2005, that was the, the last Radius conference. I'm going to use his numbers. He's from a big agency. And uh, this is the scale that they use. They use the OPI scale, the oral proficiency proficiency scale. This is, again, a major agency. And we're going to skip the first two levels, the novice and the intermediate. And out of all the missionaries um, in, in church planning roles, we're not including support missionaries now. Out of everybody who are in church planning roles, only about one-third make it to the advanced and the superior. But look at the list, though. The advanced, the ability to read the Bible, the ability to ask questions about worldview, to ask questions about worldview, to facilitate Bible study, and to go through tracks. To go through tracks, that's the advanced level. But the superior level is where this agency wants their missionaries to be. And it's the ability to engage in deep-level strategy questions and to train tra trainers and to do counseling and to do preaching. Can you guys see where um, superior is where discipleship really happens? I mean, the ability to read the Bible or go through a track, again, that's, that's a one-way communication. It's not two-way. Superior is where this agency, and I think, man, where, where we want all of our missionaries to be. 
And if you guys were here for the last Radius Conference, this was a number given to us, that in this major agency, only 4% of all the missionaries are ministering at the superior level. 4%, guys. That means 24 out of 25 church planning missionaries are unable to engage in deep level strategy. Church planning strategy. They're unable, 25 out of, 24 out of 25, they're unable to train trainers in the native tongue. 24 out of 25, they can't count, they can't do counseling and they can't preach like uh, an adult would preach in the people group. And these are numbers from 2015. And, and, you know, I am hoping and I believe the numbers have gone up. But, guys, even if we had a 500% improvement, we'll pull that, pull that number to, what, 20%? We're still, we're still talking about what? One out of five missionaries are operating and ministering at that level. Guys, I want to, again, highlight the reality that almost everybody, every agency, every missionary will agree with me. We are about language study. We will all say that. But the reality out there on the field, man, that is laughable. That is laughable, guys. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't have any, any other adjective to describe it. And you know what? Another reality is missionaries, they're not putting enough time they're not putting enough hours into language study. You know, m- m- most cases, again, I'm in Asia, I see missionaries coming all the time, and you know what, best case scenario, they're enrolling in the language school. They're talking about maybe 10, 15 hours. 15 hours a week in language school. And you would think, man, that, that's three hours a day, Monday to Friday, that's, that's quite a bit. You know, you guys have a rough shoulders with Asian High schoolers, exchange students, college students. Do you, do you guys have any idea how many English classes they've taken in school and in after-school cram sessions? More than 15 hours a day. And you know what? Can they speak English fluently? Well, they could handle the academic workload, but can they communicate like us in the deep, hard worldview level? They can't. They can't. They can't, they can't. So what makes us think that missionaries doing 10, 15-hour language school is ever, ever going to get to that proficient level? Man, we're looking at 40 hours minimum a week. I know it's hard. There are times we got to give time to our entry strategy. But, man, it is at the same time. And anything less than that, 40 hours a week, that's not... Man, we have missionaries coming to the field going, you know what, I'm going to do 40 hours and not an hour more. After that, man, that, that's time to family. That's what Brad was talking about. I'm going to give my time to family. But those missionaries, I mean, even when they set the bar at 40 as a ceiling, those guys don't get it. They don't get the language. It's a baseline, guys. It's a baseline to get the language. And you know what? The next reality is, why, I mean, the, the question is, well, why aren't missionaries putting in enough time in language study? How come they're not putting in enough time in language study? And uh, this is what I call the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny 
of the urge. And this is what I mean, and I'm going to use a personal example. You know, I was, was a pastor in San Francisco. I used to t- take a team down to uh, Tijuana through Yugo. As some of you guys are maybe familiar with the... Uh, um, it's just one of those typical summer, you know, we ran a 15-passenger white van. We drive down to Mexico. We kick some soccer balls, and we get a high school senior. We're going to share testimony through a translator. After that, I mean, we collect decision cards, and, you know, we hand it over to the local church. And a lot of churches do it. And you know what? It was good exposure for, for our high schoolers from our church. And we used to do that every year. And um, but you know what? Um, there was a deacon in our church that would ask me every year after uh, we came back, how many decision cards did you guys get? How many people did you save? And he would ask me this year after year after year until one year I, I couldn't hold it anymore. I said, hey, brother, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Well, how long have you lived uh, in your house on that street? Uh, uh, a little over 20 years. I said, well, how many people on your street have you saved? Well, he never asked me about decision cards anymore. Um, but, but, but that's what we call the, the, the tyranny of the urgent. See, we, I mean, we speak the same language. We live in the same culture, and, and yet we don't save our street. We don't save our neighborhood. So, so what makes it so magical that if we send a bunch of high schoolers with missionaries across culture, across language, that somehow we're going to have mass conversion after a week or two years or five years? That's the tyranny of the urgent guys to get the gospel out first. You know, forget language. Just show them Jesus' love. Let's get it done and get it fast. Let's get converts as soon as possible. As soon as possible. The tyranny of the urgent is ruining new missionaries. Now, guys, the reality is new missionaries are constantly being asked to forego language study. They have been told, I mean, this is, it doesn't happen in every agency, but man, they are play, they're, they're, there's an agency that actually told the missionary, you know what, don't learn language now. It takes too long. It takes too long. Use the radio. Use a broad, I mean, use pamphlets, use evangel cubes. You know, go and tell people about Jesus' love. Don't learn language. And see, nobody, no missionaries will say in their prayer updates back home that, you know what, they're putting language study aside. They will say, say what? We're doing ministry. And it's going to sound so good, guys. It's going to sound so good. But the fact is, man, they're not reaching that level where they can engage the nations with deep, hard, worldview-level issues. Guys, saying yes to language, this is, again, what I was talking about. When we all agree that language learning is crucial, is important, is non-negotiable, saying yes to something, saying yes to language learning means we got to start saying no to many other things. You can't say you're serious about language learning when you start sharing the gospel when you're speaking like a second grader. You're just not. And you can't say the agency is about language learning or communicating in the native tongue when we expect our missionaries to start sharing out on the street after three months in the country. We just can't. Saying yes to language and culture learning means we got to start saying no 
to many other things. You know, oftentimes, the tyranny of the urgent forces us to, you know, let's use translators. You know, let's use, now guys, using translators, I've used translators in short-term mission trips. I mean, it's necessary, and, and there's a purpose for that. But for career missionaries, man, give me one viable, healthy, growing American church where the lead pastor doesn't speak English and use a translator every Sunday. Guys, again, it's one of these things that somehow we will not accept here at all, but magically becomes the norm overseas, overseas. You know, most missionaries, this is another reality, you know, most missionaries are trying to navigate through language learning without meaningful structure or evaluation. That's what Rick was talking about yesterday. You know, where are the evaluations? You know, when you say, are you guys about language study? Of course we are. Well, how do you check your, how do you check your missionaries as far as their language progress? We, we just kind of trust that they get it. You know, I mean, guys, would you send your kids to a school where they simply say, you know what, we're just going to teach and we're not going to evaluate. There's no test. We're just going to trust that they're going to get it. We're about learning. We're about teaching. But, man, there'd be no test. We're not going to do that to our kids. Why are we allowing our missionaries to serve like that? Serve like that. I mean, we're lacking gospel workers. Missionaries are often lacking a structured evaluational program to help them to get the language. And guys, the end result is this. The end result is this. That we have a large number of missionaries that's holding Bible studies, that's sharing the gospel, the training, trainers holding conferences without the necessary language skills to communicate properly. Guys, there is a crisis. There is a crisis if you actually, um, some of you guys have kids in college. There's a crisis in the U.S. A college campus, especially in the STEM disciplines. We're talking about science, technology, engineering, and math. And, and just go home, guys. Go home and Google, I can't understand my professor's English. Just Google that. And you're going to see message boards of parents and college students complaining, man, I can't understand my professor's English because they're from overseas. And we have, man, guys, I mean, you're going to have to, like, bleach your computer after you know, I mean, they're angry parents. I'm paying $30,000, and I'm paying for this. And Man, my kids are going to a school. I'm going to a class where they came to understand the professor's English. Man, but co- we're talking about college professors here, guys. These guys are smart. They're PhDs. They know the material, and they know English. They publish papers in English, guys. But you know what they haven't had? They haven't had full-time immersion language study English. They know English, but they cannot communicate. And the students are fed up. Their state is talking about putting laws to require the professors to actually pass the English fluency test. And guys, you know, you, you know what the root cause is for this crisis? That in America, we do not have enough American professors in the STEM disciplines, in the science, mathematics, physics, 
to teach. Therefore, we have no choice but to hire these professors from, from overseas. And this has seriously hampered the student's ability to learn. Guys, do you guys see a parallel with missions today? We go, missionaries aren't staying long enough. You know, they, they, they aren't enough cross-cultural missionaries. I mean, we got to fill the vacancies. We got, to, we got to fill them fast. So let's lower the bar. Let's forget about language study. Let's take, let's accept 15 hours of language study. Instead of superior, man, advanced, man, novice, man, just, just get something. Just be able to say Jesus loves you. Let's lower the bar. Man, if it's good enough for dolphins, man, that's good enough for us. Man, let's that, that just do it. But we see all these parallels, guys, except one thing. We as missionaries, we are entrusted not with organic chemistry, not with calculus. We're entrusted with the gospel, guys. When the professors, when those guys fail to communicate, the worst that could happen to them is they lose their jobs. But as messengers, as ambassadors of God's message, his precious gospel that he paid for with his son's life, if we do not communicate it clearly, if we don't communicate it fully, we will stand condemned because we have not communicated clearly the whole counsel of God. This, the realities out there should be alarming to all of us, guys. Should be alarming to all of us. Now, I'm going to give you three reasons for fluency necessity. Again, I, I, I know I focus a lot more in, on, the, on the language side, but I am talking about language and culture. Let me say this. Number one, why is fluency necessary? Gospel clarity demands language fluency. If you care about the gospel, if you care about the gospel, man, let's care about fluency together. And let me say this. Gospel clarity doesn't just automatically happen anytime when a cross-cultural missionary opens his mouth. Let me say that again. Gospel clarity doesn't automatically happen every time a cross-cultural missionary opens his mouth. I mean, doesn't the Bible say, I mean, these verses have been used, actually. These verses have been used to actually communicate. Man, that's, you don't need to learn language. For the Word of God is alive and active. Man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do it. It's, it's going to penetrate and even divide, dividing the soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So, so guys, just, just give it in any form that you can, and the Holy Spirit is going to do the rest. And you guys know the second one. You know, I sent it out. It will not return in vain. It will bear fruit. These passages have been used to actually argue against language fluency. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm holding a surgical scalpel here. I had to send to Brooks's house, Amazon Prime, a couple of days ago. Okay. This is a surgical stainless. This is what surgeons use in hospitals. And let me ask you something. Can this little instrument perform surgery? Yeah, it can. This little instrument has saved millions of lives over the course of history. It works. This scalpel works. 
But what if I say right now, forget Obamacare, forget Trump care. I'm going to take hand, many of my, if you have any mole on your back, your neck, if you got any abnormal growth in your mouth, come on up right now. I will cut it out for you. I will cut it out for you. Guys, what, what, what's the worst that could happen? This thing works, right? This thing works. It's proven to work. It saves lives. Man, I'll bet you you'll bleed out if I do this on you before lunch. Man. But you know what? This same scalpel in the hand of a trained surgeon can do wonders. It will save lives. The surgeon is trained. He knows how to hold this thing. I don't even know if I'm holding this right. He knows this much pressure is going to make this big a cut. He knows how to avoid the artery. I mean, I don't. But man, it doesn't matter. Guys, it doesn't matter how many lives this little instrument has saved. But this scalpel doesn't automatically save lives anytime it touches human flesh. Saying that would be ludicrous and stupid. Just as ludicrous and stupid as saying anytime, just forget about language fluency. Anytime we say the gospel in any level language, it's going to save people. It doesn't happen that way. Missionaries, we are called not just to state the gospel as a transaction of information. We're to demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we are to take captive of every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And you know what, guys? The nation's every thought is hidden is hidden in their worldview, veiled by their language and cultures. If a gospel worker cannot speak the language fluently, man, frontline missionaries, we will cut up and mutilate the nations, and they will bleed out. We could give our lives to the gospel, but man, without a commitment to fluency, man, we're really not doing much for eternity. You know, guys, when we presented the gospel in our tribe back in 2012, we had opposition, but, man, they were a group of people. They were a group of men and, and younger men. Man, they said, man, we believe this. And, and when, when we presented, I mean, again, three months, and when they finally heard that Jesus paid for their sins, they were excited. A, a group of young men, they stay up all night talking about, man, we're going to turn our backs on our ancestral beliefs, and we're going to follow Jesus. They were excited. And the next day they came and they, and they said, you know, we all, want to be, we all want to be Christians. Because, you know why? Jesus paid for our sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And this means, they said to me, this means we could go get drunk, we could go smoke marijuana, we could go sleep around. I mean, man, Jesus paid for it all. Were they appreciative? But what Jesus did, man, they were so thankful. Were they afraid of dying? No, they know that Jesus opened up a way to heaven. I mean, they believe that with all their hearts. But did they get it? No, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. But you know what? By that time, we had enough language. We were fluent in the language. To the point where we not only knew what they were talking about in the teaching house, but we knew what they were talking about at night. See, our language 
ability opened up our scope with the people. It wasn't just limited to the teaching house, but it was, man, we knew exactly what they were talking about at night. And we were able to correct it, and we were able to correct it with adult languages, father-like languages. Guys, don't you understand the moment that Jesus saved you, the moment that you put your faith in Christ, that starts something called sanctification. Obviously, we didn't call it that, but man, that, that, that's simultaneous. No, you don't have the license to sin. Guys, can you imagine if we, we simply read off a piece of paper and gave the gospel to our guys but lack the language ability to engage further? Man, the BM church, I don't even know if we could call it a church today. If we care about the gospel, guys, if we care about the gospel, man, we need to care about fluency. The next one. Well, let's talk about, well, let's go back a little bit. I mean, you guys know, I mean, it's kind of in the uh, handbook. When we remove fluency from the gospel, what do we get? We get a distorted version of the gospel, like what our guys thought they heard. In words, you get syncretism, and we don't want that. We want our sufferings to count. We want our cancer to count. We don't, we don't want them to hurt something. We don't want them to think that they heard something from us, but ended up they heard something entirely different. That's not, give, that's not suffer like that, but that's, let's do it right. Okay, next. Fluency is necessary because discipleship demands or requires fluency. Guys, Jesus did not set the bar at what? Making converts. What, what did he say? Make disciples of all nations. I mean, every time I hear somebody planted a church, you know, 522 churches in 10 months, I don't know what to think of that, you know? I mean, the gospel isn't about getting people to agree or to like it, but, but, man, after they believe, there's a long season of discipling them, discipling them into maturity. Discipleship is life on life, and without language ability, man, you can't really speak into their lives. You know, how does a husband treat his wife? You know, in our tribe, the beginning point is, man, when you be your wife, don't use a weapon. I mean, that, that's a beginning point for our guys. And I do not make light of domestic abuse at all. But how do I speak into his life, this man's life, with credibility, without adult-like language skill? We have a king, a chief, that holds absolute power, and he's a believer. How do I tell him that, you know what? Three wives, that's enough. Please don't take number four. And you know what, by the way, even though you're the biggest man on the island, you're not qualified to be an elder. Okay, you have three wives. Man, it takes, it takes a pretty serious level of fluency. You can't carry on that conversation with, adult, uh, with childlike speech. I, I mean, three years ago, you know, there were, men of, there were a group of men that were discipling. And that uh, they were groomed to be our future elders. And they were candidates at that time. And we were meeting with them every week. And, um, man, they had a spectacular fall. They ended up, as a group, everybody stole from the church. We had a, a donor that donated a bunch of fishing tackle uh, for, um, 
for the island. So we, we entrusted the elder, the elders, the candidates, to actually, you know, distribute it amongst the, the entire island. And they ended up stealing some of that stuff and they kept it for themselves. Guys, this was the future of our church. And they all ended up stealing from not just the community, but from the church. And, and man, the, 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 the purity um, of the church was, was on the line. And I remember that night vividly. We called everybody together, Brandon and I and Thomas. We sat down with those guys. And guys, in the beginning, they were not repentant. They felt like, man, we're doing God's work. We're doing God. We need to be paid. We need to be paid. Like, we, we deserve this. And guys, I chew them out. I was hot. I expressed anger, but righteous anger. I didn't lose control. But I was hot for the purity of the church. And, and man, and Brendan said, man, he was praying simultaneously that somehow God would break through to these guys. And he did. The Holy Spirit worked. And, and one by one, tears streaming down, you know, from their eyes. And they, they, they confessed. They go, and, and they asked for accountability. And they ended up standing in front of the church and, and, and apologized. Guys, in the shame culture, that's big. That's big. You know, I mean, I mean, that night, God turned a spectacular fall into, the, into a turning point for a church plant. And, and, and most of those men are elders today. And you know what? As I think about that night, I think about the words that I said. But you know what? I did, I did not have to reach for dictionary. That night, fluency or my language ability did not become a, a barrier to what I had to say to those guys. Guys, discipleship is life on life. And guys, I'm not giving this example to show you what a great discipler I am. I was. If I was any good at it, they probably wouldn't have stolen in the first place. You know? <laughs> but, but, but I'm talking about discipleship, those moments, discipleship moments. You guys know what I'm talking about. You can't plan for them. They just come. God doesn't tell you tomorrow, you know, 4 o'clock, you know, somebody's going to come and you're going to disciple that. No, it just comes up. And uh, you can't plan for them. And without language ability, man, you will miss those discipleship moments. And the nation, the people groups will be left starving, starving. The next one, guys. Incarnational ministry demands fluency. Incarnational ministry demands fluency. Now, incarnational ministry has been a battle cry for mission agencies and missionaries, I mean, for I mean, many, many years. We're going to see, and we're going to see this word, we believe or we do incarnational ministry almost in every agency's blogs and websites. Nobody's going to say, no, we don't do incarnational ministry. We do outsider ministry. Nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to say that. We all do international, incarnational ministry. And the elephant, guys, in the room is this. If most missionaries don't speak the language at the proficient level, then how incarnational can we be if we don't speak the language, if we don't speak their language? Guys, eating kimchi or curry doesn't make you incarnational. 
He just doesn't. You know, going back, going back to the point of God being the ultimate communicator and, and, and the fact that we're made in His image. See, Jesus is that great communicator. And there were times when Jesus told the parable and, 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 and the, you know, the disciples of the crowd didn't understand it, but, but that was strategic on Jesus' part. But every other time that Jesus spoke, the disciples weren't guessing exactly. You know, he wasn't speaking with a second grade Aramaic level. He was, they weren't guessing on his pronunciation. Is this what he meant? No. I mean, they understood Jesus fully, fully, completely. This is why the Bible says, you know what, Jesus taught with authority. Because it sounded like authority even to those pharisaical years. Jesus spoke like an adult. So being incarnational doesn't mean wearing sandals like Jesus wore sandals. It doesn't mean living just like Jesus. It doesn't mean just love like Jesus. It also means being a great communicator like Jesus. And you know what? When we remove fluency from incarnational ministry, I don't even have the word to describe it. What happens? The opposite of incarnational, in incarnational ministry happens. There's a new word for you. It just doesn't happen. Language, you know, I mean, guys, I mean, you guys know the immigrants in America, they all tend to stay in their own pockets, right? Why is that? That they like each other so much? No, because language and culture is still a barrier. That's why they have little neighborhoods. You know, all over the world, we have missionary ghettos. We're missionary ghettos. We're missionaries that don't speak the language fully. They kind of stay together. Guys, across from my street, there's a TGI Friday in Taiwan. Across from the street, there's a TGI Friday. And 20 years ago, it's been there for a long time. 20 years ago, it was the only restaurant in town with English menus and waitresses that spoke English. And guess who you find there all the time? Missionaries. Missionaries. But you don't see them there today. And it's not because... The fluency level has improved. It's because we got Outback now. We got Chili's. We got... I, I, I am not making this up, guys. I'm not making this up. Guys, as somebody from a receiving country stops sending missionaries who aren't ready to learn our languages. Guys, I was talking to a brother from China yesterday, Abraham. I said, Guy, Abraham, how are... You know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, the... China, the landscape that well, but, but I asked Abraham, you know, how are the missionaries, the foreign missionaries doing in terms of language? And he said, well, you mean those that got kicked out before the 50s? They're, they did really well. I said, no, 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 I mean the ones today. And he said, well, no, they weren't as good as the old-timers. No, I'm not saying at all. I know there's some of you guys that speaks fluent Mandarin, man. I mean, some of you guys got it. You guys achieved fluency at the very high level. And kudos to you guys. But overall, overall, how is it that in the age of Google Translate, computer, and, and all the tools, Rosetta Stones, that, that how come we're speaking at a lesser language fluency level than those guys back in the 50s? Incarnational ministry, incarnational ministry demands fluency, guys. It absolutely demands fluency. And you know what? Let's talk about the attrition rate. Why do missionaries 
come home. And you know what? This is what my daughter, my daughter goes to a missionary school in Taiwan. Um, um, Abigail told me that, uh, hey, Daddy, all the, all the missionaries that go home, like they, they're the ones that really don't speak Mandarin. And uh, that's what, out of the mouth of a bay, I mean, she's 12 years old, but that, that's the ob- observation she made. The attrition rate, yes, there are many reasons for attrition. But one of the reasons, guys, is when we don't speak language at a proficient level, we will always be outsiders. We will always be outsiders. Guys, I, I mean, I bet many, I mean, all of you guys been overseas. Vacation, backpacking in Europe or short-term mission trips. I mean, you probably enjoyed it. I mean, you guys, I mean, just put yourself somewhere else right now. In a place where, man, you, you, you enjoy that country, but you don't speak the language. You know, I, I mean, you, you probably enjoy the vacation. You probably enjoy the short-term mission trip. But, but man, there was some disconnect, right? Because we, we don't speak the language. I felt like that, you know, when we went to Laos earlier, earlier this year. I, I didn't speak their language. Man, it was, it was fun, but it wasn't. You know that feeling when you come back? from a vacation or short-term mission trip, and, and you finally, the plane lands in San Diego or LAX, and uh, you walk out of the airplane cabin. I mean, nobody likes airport, right? I mean, nobody likes airports. But at that moment, you're loving it. Why? Somehow, I mean, airport feels so foreign and, and, and just, but, but at that moment, for about five minutes, you're comfortable. Why? Because you know what? You are back in the place where you can understand everything. You could go up to a Starbucks and say, you know what? Let me, um, let me get that caramel grande frappuccino. Oh, man, it's a long flight, man. Let me just put one shot. No, no, two shots are expressed. You, know, you, you could have small talks. You could go up. You could talk about the weather. You could talk about the traffic. You could talk sports. You could talk about the chargers. Oh, wait a minute. You can't. You guys, that was last year. You could, that was built in. That was built in so that you guys don't fall asleep. See, but, but my point is this, guys. Even the hated airport, we like it for five minutes. Why? Because they speak. They speak our language. Guys, the truth is that most missionaries, as they head to the airport, they're struggling, guys. As they head to the airport to fly back to India, to Africa, to Nepal, to Papua New Guinea, there's, they're, they're not excited about going back. It's hard. And it's much harder, guys, if, the, if they're flying back as outsiders, if they're flying back without having mastered the language. Man, I can't tell you how many times I struggle with that, even with language fluency, that I've landed in New Guinea. And, uh, man, I'm, the self-loathing just kicked. And another turn of this, of solar panels, of living in the jungle, loneliness. Man, it's hard. And you go through customs, you go through bag, um, domestic bag transfers, and the expressionless officials sometimes trying to extract a few more coins out of you as they do to um, foreigners. And that, that, that's when sometimes, you know, I, that's when I snap out of my self-loathing. And I go, hey, you think one of them, yeah? You think one plus gong gong belong papindoya? I please, you mean monkey belong sheepig. When I start speaking 
the language, man, the entire thing changes. They're laughing, I'm laughing. You have no idea how many VIP luggage tags I've scored this way. <laughs> and I'm not making this up. Guys, it helps, it helps, it helps. That little help, be able to speak the ability to speak the language and make it home, make a foreign hostile place, make that moment of self-loathing. And, and you know what? I'm not an outsider. I could stay, I could do this. Sometimes that's the difference between whether a missionary stays or they go home, or they pack up and go home, guys. It's huge. Incarnational ministry demands fluency. Want to be like Jesus? Let's speak like Jesus. Let's speak like Jesus. Guys, I got five minutes, five minutes. I got the personal, personal pleas to churches, guys churches. I know there are churches here, and, and I'm speaking. I was a pastor in the church before, so I'm, I'm, I'm switching roles now. And guys, I, I believe people from our local churches, they're willing to go and leave suburban America and go to the nations. They are our most valuable assets. So when they go and when they bomb, when they fail, man, it's a blow on the local church too. Let's do this right Local churches, let's fight off the tyranny of the urgent. Give your missionaries enough time to get the language. Don't ask them for decision cards after two weeks or even after two years. No, be, you know, fight the fight for the long haul with them. Language learning is hard. Give them time. Don't ask them to come back to be the missions conference speaker. You know, tell them to get off Facebook and get back to language learning. And you know what? Churches, don't, I want to say this carefully, guys. I have, again, the utmost respect for mission agencies. But churches, don't wait for the agencies or the missionaries themselves to set the bar in language and culture fluency. If they are truly an extension of your commitment to the nations, then you set the bar. You decide how your church is going to reach the nations. You tell your mission, you set the bar of how fluent they need to become. Let's not settle for novice, intermediate, or advanced. Let's settle for a place where they could truly disciple at a worldview level. Go ahead and set the language bar for your missionaries and find the right agencies that will partner with you. And guys, educate yourselves on the latest mission trends. I know I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here. You guys are here. You know, um, I say it to my shame that as a pastor before, you know, I really never, you know, in any mission-related meetings in my church, I never really ask, you know, how is he doing in language? What kind of ministry is he involved in? What is he, what is he using? Is he using English? Is he using, I mean, I, I never bother to ask those questions. Sign the checks and send them out. I say it to my shame. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. You know, I, I mean, I, I cited their agencies right now. I mean, they are some, not, not the majority, but their agencies right now actively telling the candidates, you know what, don't, don't learn language. It takes too long. Let's, let's just get the gospel out through different means. Let me speak frankly here. Agencies like that will probably 
Now listen to me. They could listen to this hour ten times, and they would probably not listen to me. I'm just a Joe Blow missionary from a Joe Blow agency. But you know what, churches? They will listen to you. They will listen to you. If you tell them, hey, you know what, Dave and Martha, they are the crown jewels of a young adult ministry, and they're looking to go to the nations. You know, but before we finalize this partnership, you know, tell me about your, tell me about your language strategy. Tell me about the evaluations. What are you guys going to do to help our guys to get the language so that they can minister effectively? They will listen to you guys. They will listen to you guys. We together, you guys, us together, we can unleash changes. We can unleash changes when it comes to fluency. Guys, one last example, and I'm done. I know you guys are hungry, but, you know, one of the first questions, one of the first questions I got asked when we moved into um, the tribal group um, was, do you know Rambo? Do you know Rambo? You know, somehow, years ago, somebody from town, he snuck in a video of First Blood, and uh, there's a little beat-up Jenny and a projector, so in the tribal group in Papua New Guinea, um, you know, this guy, first blood was shown to our guys. So they all thought it was real. So when I first landed, they all asked me, hey, is, is Rambo real? Like, like how, how did he, you know, those grenade rounds that he was able to shoot off with his bows and arrows? Man! And, and, and my tribal father said, I mean, he said it with all seriousness. He said, man, if Rambo came to an island, we're done. We're all dead. We're all dead. And... And uh, several years ago, several years ago, some tribal guys, young guys, started asking our team, Brandon and I and Thomas, about Team 6, Team 6, Team 6, you know, the Navy SEAL Team 6. Somehow somebody got another video. So they started asking us about Navy SEALs. And we all know the war on terror has been ongoing in the news, in the airwaves since 9-11. The world is changing, isn't it? We do not engage in conventional warfare anymore. Well, we sit in the cavalry and we go mano and mano with the enemy. We don't. We fight it differently. This is why the special forces, the SEALs, the Berets, the Deltas, they have become much more prominent and dependent on to fight the war on terror. The world is changing and we're fighting the war differently. Instead of doing it all by ourselves, we're training Afghani armies to partner with us. And that's good and that's necessary. But you know what hasn't changed in the battlefield? The brutal standard that we put these brave young men through training before we send them overseas. And the high level of expectation of combat readiness when they are on the field. Physical training and combat readiness. These are non-negotiables in the fight against terror. And guys, as gospel workers, we too, we are working. We're working in the changing world. Yes, we must find more creative ways of getting the gospel to these unreached people groups. Entry strategies are more complicated. And we need to invest heavily in discipling and training the national believers. Guys, but the non-negotiables have not changed. Let's get language Fluency, we cannot lower it. It is way 
too important for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of discipleship, for the sake of incarnational ministry. We cannot afford to lower the bar in fluency. Guys, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing it right. It's worth doing it right. Thank you guys for allowing me to go over time.